So, Lily, are you a good person? Well, Randy, it depends what you mean. Um, like, I clean my teeth every day, <laughs> and I split up all the different items in the recycling box. Does that count? <laughs> That's good to hear. But do you know how to make good products? As in, like, good for business or good for users? or? Good question. That's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> how about you? Well, I like to think so. But then I saw Roshi Proven talk about product ethics at London Product Tank a few months back, and she put a different spin on how to ensure that you and your company are doing the right thing. Yeah, it feels like there's something in the news about this every week. And this sounds very useful, so I would love to hear her take on it. Well, I've got good news. She's our guest this week, so let's get right to it. Hi, Roshi. Welcome to the Product Experience Podcast. It's so nice to have you here. It would be great if you could just kick us off by telling us a little bit about what you're doing in the product world these days. Sure. Thank you so much for having me along. So I am currently head of product at a company called Gower Street Analytics. We provide a sort of box office forecasting for distribution and exhibition in the film industry. I am also moderately heavily involved in Mind the Product. I spoke at Engage in Manchester. I've spoken at Product Tank a couple of times and I also teach um, for Mind the Product and I actually just taught our foundations course yesterday. Ah, was it good fun? It was absolutely lovely. They were a brilliant bunch. It was really good fun. It was, yeah. It was over in Marble Arch, and uh, thankfully there was pretty good aircon, so uh, (laughs) we we didn't all melt in the heat. (laughs) So one of the reasons why we got you on this evening was so that we could hear more about your talk that you did at Product Tank in London around a, a kind of Black Mirror product world. So tell us how that came about and what the topic was. Yeah, so um, James Mays, who's the CEO of MTP, uh, reached out to me on Twitter with a sort of nefarious plan that he had in mind to run a Black Mirror version of Product Tank. We'd spoken a lot previously about product ethics and um, sort of the importance of looking at the kind of bad things that can happen with products that we're building. and we thought it would be kind of a fun idea to flip the script a little bit from what normally happens because a lot of times we talk about uh, case studies and talk about experiences and we talk about success and we talk about all the great things that we've done. So what we did instead was I did a talk where I just sort of picked three random startups from um, the internet uh, and (laughs) ran what I call a black mirror test on them. So basically it's looking at what is the absolute worst dystopian thing that someone can do with each of these products. And every product has a story like that. I just picked three at random. Um, And it was kind of a a fun thought experiment, but it also had a serious side because I think that as we move into the data science and AI and machine learning Um, and all these sort of things, it's more and more important for us to have a really strong sense of ethics and to kind of constantly challenge ourselves to think about what could go wrong with the products we're building. So um, that's what we did with Product Tank and it was was really good fun. (laughs) 
Sir, and I have to say, Russia, you told me uh, a little while before the talk that you're going to be doing this, and I was so happy because I got to offload every problem I saw in the world and say, can you include this one? Can you include this one? <laughs> you did. There was there was a, um, a wealth of uh, examples, fortunately and unfortunately. <laughs> okay. so, yeah. so can you explain what exactly is a black mirror test? So um, – I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have seen the TV series Black Mirror, but for those who haven't, um, it is a British uh, TV series that is now on Netflix by a chap called Charlie Brooker. Uh, and it sort of is near future science fiction and a lot about sort of dystopia. So they've had episodes around kind of social media. They've had episodes around AI. They did an episode about bees. Um, and uh, it's known for not necessarily predicting the future, but becoming incredibly prescient without possibly meaning to. And we decided to do the same thing. So a Black Mirror test is basically if I was writing a script for an episode of Black Mirror, uh, what would the plot be if it was centered around the product that I'm doing the test on? And the point is to get as grimdark as possible and to as evil as possible and not hold back and not kind of think about feelings of others or anything. It's just about being really harsh about what your product could be used for um, and then kind of putting it into a little dystopian future that you create. And how did you go about doing that? Because that is hopefully not a natural mindset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's totally natural. <laughs> um, no, it is not <laughs> natural at all. Um, so it's actually uh, a little bit related to my mental health, which is a, a weird way of looking at it. So... Um, mm. Uh, I suffer from like anxiety and depression and I've talked about that publicly in the past and one of the sort of uh, symptoms that I suffer from is something called intrusive thoughts. So everyone in the world has uh, things that fly through their mind when they're walking down the street that they wouldn't necessarily consciously decide to think about. Uh, so Maybe you're walking along the street and a bus drives past and you're like, I wonder if I just stepped in front of it, what would happen? Or uh, what if I kicked that guy in the balls? What would he do? And just but random strangers. Uh, and <laughs> everyone has that. Most people can, di can dismiss it. But for me, it's something that uh, is much louder and much more persistent. So when I look at something, my brain will often look at the worst that could happen yeah. um and I've done a lot of work uh to make sure that that's not the case but um so with this I kind of leaned into it so I'm yeah. using lean in in a different context from normal <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> uh, um and obviously not everyone has these intrusive thoughts uh to the same level but everyone has things that cross their mind that they dismiss and so it's about pausing on those things and pulling them out. And it's also a lot about having a really diverse team that have a lot of shared experiences. So when I was doing this, I was talking to a lot of friends who have gone through different things in their lives. And I was kind of going to Twitter and um, reading through different threads because I've very carefully curated my Twitter over the years to uh, have a really diverse group of people. Um, and also sort of 
Googling for news stories of things that have happened currently with products. So I think a really good recent example, like a perfect recent example, is um, Superhuman, mm. which is a kind of inbox. What is it? Supercharger email. Supercharge your email. Okay, so Superhuman is a product that is supposed to supercharge your email. It's for kind of high uh, stress, time poor people who need help organizing their inbox. Uh, it's supposed to be pretty good. Uh, I haven't personally used it, but uh, they came up for criticism recently because they had a tracking pixel embedded in emails that were sent via Superhuman. And when the person who was receiving the email opened it, it would send a message to you telling you that they'd opened it. But they also sent their, your exact location as well. There was nothing in the email that really informed you that this was happening. And it was on by default. Uh, and so there was a lot of criticism levied at them. The CEO responded on Twitter and said, we never conceived that anyone could do anything bad with this. And that's exactly what happens if you have a homogenous team. Because yeah. there was nobody in that room who had... Uh, had a bad relationship or had had someone stalk them or had had someone abuse them on the internet. Um, and so they couldn't conceive of a world where someone would use location tracker in an email that could indicate someone's location without them knowing as something that could be used for bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think to a lot of people, it's really, really clear where it could be used for bad. So um, yeah, it's uh yeah. Classic example. But basically, uh, using my natural cynicism and my natural um, tendency towards looking at all the worst possible options uh, as, a, as a force for good, <laughs> making sure that I have a diverse set of people to draw experiences from and making sure that the people I'm working with are really diverse. And then just not being scared to ask really hard questions. And when I say hard questions, it's sort of like, the first question you should be asking is how could someone abuse another person with this? And uh, a really, really good tool for that is um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is basically a um, sort of pyramid of things that humans need to feel fulfilled and um, uh, need to sort of live life. And it's got all the normal things like food and shelter um, and uh, sort of stability but it also has things like emotional safety and, and kind of physical and emotional wellness um, and it's really a good thing to kind of go down those Maslow's hierarchy of needs and say does my product violate any one of these hierarchy of needs uh, I can't take credit for that particular way of doing this that was Kim Goodwin who did a really great talk at um, uh, Mind the Products London conference where she talked about using Maslow's hierarchy of needs to kind of investigate the ethical soundness of your product do you think sometimes people are so kind of stuck in their product that actually having an outside perspective on this would be quite helpful oh absolutely I think um when you really care about what you're doing and as product managers I think we're a, we're a helpful bunch yeah <laughs> I think we we do this because we want to help people we want to make people's lives better uh and when you're in it and you're working on a product and you're doing your research it's hard to think about bad things that it could do it's re it's really really hard to remain 
objective about that sort of stuff. Mm. And there's also definitely a kind of expectation of optimism a lot of the yeah. time that we're expected to be the the constant cheerleaders of the product uh, and so it's it's hard for us to say like you know people could do something with this that's really dangerous or really upsetting and and that would suck because it's something that you've built so I think getting some outside advice and bringing someone in who is sort of more of a um, neutral party can be really helpful. Yeah. Before we go too deep into to how to do this, can we get, run through a couple of examples? Uh, I think one of my favorite ones from your talk was uh, something that was very aptly named. You talked about a company called Baddie. Yeah, Baddie. Bless the little cotton socks. If you're going to call your company Baddie, it's like <laughs> you're you're asking for this to happen. Uh, I I mean, to be fair, it is a company that started in Spain, so they may not have been aware that, uh, <laughs> like, find a house with Baddie. No, wait, what? No, I don't want to find a house with Baddies. No, Baddie. What? Uh, so yeah, Baddie are a Spanish startup. They specialize in finding um, rooms for people and finding flatmates. So sort of similar to this easy roommate uh, kind of model. And when I was kind of looking around their website and digging a bit into to what they were about. So there was a lot of talk about um, how they match you to your perfect roommate via your profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, you know, they'll intelligently match you with flatmates in your area. Um, and that sounds really amazing, you know, because finding someone to live with is really hard. And if you can have a tool that makes it easier, that sounds great. So the product market fit seems to be there. The proposition is good. But then if you kind of scratch the surface a little bit and this whole concept of using personal information that you've provided to match you with other people and then being able to exclude flatmates based on certain criteria, I'm sure a lot of people can see where I'm going with this. But to me, a tool like this is absolutely rife for racial profiling, classism and just all sorts of exclusion of people and in my talk I used examples to kind of back everything up Mm -hmm. because I feel like if I come up with something really bad people are gonna be like that would never happen like it's not like people aren't like that um and the example I used for this particular one was the racial dot map of America it's a really great uh little tool where you can see kind of the racial makeup of America based on like where people live uh, and it's really it's a it's really interesting you know you can see where segregation is still a problem and you know you can see where there's like massive swathes of just white people for miles <laughs> um and then there was these little clusters of of dots like in the middle of the countryside and you kind of zoomed in and there were uh little clusters of dots that represented um black people And if you overlay Google Maps over the racial dot map, each one of these little clusters of dots of black people, there was also kind of in the southern states, there would be clusters of Latina people, they would map directly to prisons. So by using the data from the racial dot map and using location data in Google Maps, if someone then went and put their personal information that included a former address on this, you could conceivably get back to, so this is a 
black person who lived in a postcode. And if I look in the racial dot map, I can see that most of the people of that race in that area are in prison. Therefore, I don't want to live with that person. And you've just made a series of hideous assumptions about someone based on data. And data is data can be used for horrible things, but I think people feel like it's impartial. And that's such a dangerous assumption. So you know, you, there's already examples of where there is data available that could be used like this. And then if you look at somewhere like Airbnb, there was an article uh, recently, I think it was in The Atlantic, where a chap was trying to get an Airbnb booked uh, and it was a person of colour. And he's trying to book an Airbnb and they said, I'm really sorry, it's not available. And then he changed his photo to a white person um, applied for the same Airbnb on the same dates and suddenly, magically, it was available. And so there are tools out there for this purpose already being used for racial profiling. So it's not a hard step to conceive that this might be used in the similar way. And that, that example with Airbnb in New York is quite... Um that goes kind of much deeper than that as well, doesn't it? It's like apparently Airbnb has caused a lot of issues in New York. Yeah, so it is really widespread in New York. There's was some research done into um, kind of Airbnb properties in New York and they found that even in predominantly black neighborhoods, the majority of Airbnb owners were white. So there's kind of a, an air of gentrification there and also, you know, people buying in neighborhoods where housing is already hard to get a hold of for the average person because you know New York is really expensive and people are exploiting that and buying these um flats that could be used by people who actually live there and then renting them out as these little Airbnb properties and it's just um really callous unfortunately and mm. um, what would you say to a company like Airbnb you know do they are they responsible for their own investigation to make sure that their products don't have a kind of negative social impact? Or is it like a, everyone out for their own? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that uh, depending on who you ask, they'd say everyone for their own self. Uh, there was a fantastic quote from Mark Zuckerberg um, a couple of days ago from an interview uh, where he said that he... Um, what is legal is not necessarily what is ethical. Um, and he was talking about that. He likes, he likes to live. So he said he likes to live his life legally, not ethically. So basically he's saying as long as he follows the letter of the law, ethics doesn't really matter. And he runs the biggest social media network in the world. And to companies like Airbnb and Facebook and Twitter, it's basically just do better you know, and, and a lot of it is passed on to the users and they say, you know, like, oh, well, there are bad people in the world and they'll find a way to do bad things somehow. And it's like, yes, absolutely. But don't let them do bad things with the product that you're building. Um, I think they're absolutely responsible for uh, conducting investigations and adding features into their tools that make it harder for people to do this, because I'm sure that they will still find a way to abuse people or profile people but it shouldn't be so damn easy <laughs> i don't know you you make me just want to talk about cambridge analytica and that will take us down the wrong path or, or i mean <laughs> rabbit yeah, holes, rabbit yeah, holes. way too long okay let's let's do uh, a, another example um well so there was i don't know if, if you've seen them but the documentaries uh that were out around the fire festival 
Uh, you talked about Verve as well with that. Can you give a little background yeah. on that one? So Verve um, uh, is a sort of social influencer tool and it's, it's kind of a multi-level marketing scheme a little bit <laughs> where, you know, they um, say to influencers, you know, get your friends to come to our event and get free perks as a result. Uh, and again, that sounds really, really like fun and cool, especially for influencers because influencers so often nowadays, they're getting younger and younger. You know, there are people on Instagram with millions of followers who are like 15, 16, 17. So, you know, these are teenagers and people are telling them that if they sell a couple of gig tickets to their friends, they will get VIP access. They will get like, they might get to meet some famous people, you know, like really cool little parks. Um, But that kind of spread of hawk this stuff to your followers without kind of sense checking what the stuff is, is exactly how you got to Fire Festival. You know, when Fire Festival was first being organized, there was this like orange square after orange square on social media with people like the Kylie and Kendall Jenner posting these orange squares and saying like Fire Festival. And then as a result, their followers who are kids, some of whom were pretty well to do, spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to sit in a disaster relief tent and eat like a slice of bread with some like American cheese on it and then get stuck (laughs) on an island forever and they also like completely decimated the ecosystem and the financial stability of an entire island's worth of people and it's just and and so again it's like Whenever I am talking about this Black Mirror stuff and I'm talking about being really cynical about your products and thinking about the worst thing that can happen and no holds barred, a lot of times I do get the like, well, no, that's never going to happen. And it is, it hap- it's happened. I'm not a futurist. I'm not kind of going into the far future and thinking about a time where we've all got nano factories that make us everything we're ever going to need and we live in a singularity and everything's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about a year from now it's it's like it's coming yes but you're also implying that american cheese is bad <laughs> you know what i love american <laughs> cheese like I, I i say that but like i love american cheese but i'm not sure i love it on like plain wholemeal <laughs> bread so <laughs> i think that i need I, I love american cheese if it's on top of a burger fair i think <laughs> And so have you ever, having gone through this process with all of these other products, did you then go through a process with your own products and, and the kind of the analytic tools that you use in your business? And did anything come out of that? Did you make any changes? So we've done a little bit of this at work. So when we're doing the box office forecasting, it's a data science company. So we're using machine learning. And so kind of day to day, I'm really conscious of it. But we're running a workshop in uh, September, which is going to be like a full a whole company black mirror test which I'm really really excited about because I've done a little bit of like diving and there's a couple of connections that I've made that I want to um just be kind of cognizant of as we grow but what I'm really excited about is to get the whole company in a room and run this sort of really big thought experiment with all of them and uh especially as we're kind of growing into other territories we're looking at other countries and stuff and and we're definitely going to be needing to be really conscious of this stuff. So I'm really excited to be running that workshop. Practically, what does running the workshop look like? What do you need to to do to set it up and, and how do you actually run it? So 
it's kind of a little bit like running a retrospective. It's a similar kind of, you do need a facilitator to take a more um, balanced role because otherwise sometimes it can get, um, you can get stuck in sort of thought loops with it. But you sort of think about it a little bit like a storyboard um, or even like Crazy Eights. If everyone, anyone's run Crazy Eights for kind of like wireframing and stuff, you're doing the same thing. So you're starting off generating some really rough ideas about what could happen. And then you sort of move on to storyboarding where you think like, well, what's the sequence of events that would need to happen for this thing to be the result? So like, what are the, the tiny mistakes that we would make? Cause it's never usually one big conscious decision that sends you off in a strange direction. It's just a series of tiny compromises. And so it's about visualizing those tiny compromises on a sort of timeline that maybe takes you out two months, maybe takes you out a year, but it's somewhere that you could feasibly get to. And then once you've got to that place that's maybe slightly less extreme, you kind of have a gap in the storyboard where you don't know the little mistakes that you could make. But it's like, so here are the little mistakes that could make to get you to something that's suboptimal. And then here's the leap that will take you to like the true dystopia. And so you have these series of little things that you know that you can address. And you have this kind of end goal in mind of the worst thing that could possibly happen. And you hold that in your head. So it's almost like every company has a true north, but they they now need a true south <laughs> as well. So they need like the depths that they could sink to so that they can always make sure that they're pointing up, not down. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I look forward to hearing um, how it goes. And uh, have you kind of rehearsed that with a few people or is it just how you worked through your own examples for the presentation that you did? It's how I worked through it myself at the moment. I haven't had the opportunity to run this with other people, although, you know what, if anyone wanted me to do this with them to facilitate a Black Mirror workshop, I would like <laughs> call me. <laughs> it's like, I, I love this stuff. I guess I'm like a hobby ethicist, which, um, but I think all product managers should be uh, ethicists in some shape or form. I think uh, in the same way that all tech is political, all tech has ethical considerations um yeah. and i would absolutely adore to kind of run some of these workshops and get people thinking deeper and thinking darker about their stuff and how do you see the using it practically day-to-day -day afterwards you so you've got the outputs you've got some of these dystopias say okay we all agree we don't want this <laughs> hopefully uh, yeah, but, yeah. But what do you actually so you've come up with these scenarios you've had that conversation once but then mm -hmm. what so, you know, like I said, everyone has the, the true north and they have their OKRs that are going to get them there. Um, and you're kind of flipping it on its head. So you've got your true south and, you know, a lot of people will have exit criteria for features. And one of the exit criteria is, just, does this take us closer to our Black Mirror scenario? If yes, we need to reconsider. If no, then we're good to go. And and also it's like, does this take us closer to our Black Mirror scenario? If the answer is yes, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't release the feature. It just means that you're having a conscious thought process and a conversation about the outcomes that you might see from that feature. And it means you're just thinking a bit more consciously about it. So it's just building that consciousness of ethics into your development process. Roshi, that's been so amazing to talk through all those examples with you and to find out more about this. I think, you know, we're probably all guilty of just, like you say, being optimists. Sure, I definitely am. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, I look forward to hearing more about the outcome and also, yeah, and if anyone gets in touch and any other kind of sessions that you run with teams. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Rishi. That's it from us for a little while. We'll be taking a short break over August, but we'll be back for more great podcasts in September. In the meantime, we wouldn't leave you empty-handed or empty-eared, and we'll be rerunning <laughs> a few of our favourite episodes from earlier in the series to keep you going. Have a great summer, and we'll see you soon. We'd love to know what you think. Please tweet us at mtppod. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Check out your local product tank today. Find it at mindtheproduct.com slash product tank. And here's global product tank manager, Mark Abraham, to tell us more about what product tank is. Product tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven by and for product managers whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers, the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips. Have you seen a great talk? Nominate a future guest on the podcast channel on the Mind the Product Slack. You can find that at mindtheproduct.slack.com. If you want to learn more about product management, take a look at mindtheproduct.com training to see what courses are on near you. Emily Tate is our executive producer. Our theme music comes from the German band POW, featuring Arnie Kittler of Product Tank Hamburg. And that's goodbye from Randy and Lily. See you next time. Bye.